Hey everybody, welcome to the channel. Today's episode, we're going to be interviewing Thunder Wizard Michael William Denny to discuss his book, Odin Says Jesus Was a Coward. This is part one of this interview. Part two will be posted next week, so stay tuned for that. And that's all coming up next. You're listening to the Wizard Factory Audio Podcast, streaming now from Spotify, iTunes, and other major platforms. Welcome to the show, everyone, to another episode of the Wizard Factory video podcast, where you subscribe for weekly videos exploring deeper understanding of the universe and ourselves. My name is Logan Hart. And I'm Brian Easterday. And this evening, we have a very special, long-awaited interview with none other than Michael Denny, known better as the Thunder Wizard, who is a syncretist, a shaman, a man of many different studies and pursuits regarding older spirituality, specifically Norse and African uh, traditions. And we're going to be covering specifically in this context, the topic of a book that he wrote called Odin Says Jesus Was a Coward. And uh, Brian and me are, are really big fans of this book, both, and we would love to uh, get into some of those talking points on this really interesting subject. So Michael, welcome to the show. We're so honored to have you, man. Thank you for having me. It's a privilege to be here. Um, yeah, so uh, I am a syncretist. Uh, I came from traditional waspy Christian American background and then uh, walked away from Christianity devastatingly and then got involved in, as you said, other traditions, uh, including Taoist mysticism, East Indian Kundalini yoga, mantra, uh, West African shamanic drumming, and then, uh, yes, later on in life. Um, as the result of actually trying to finish my studies in the Taoist sect I was in, I got kicked out, you know, because of politics and things like that. And um, I started looking into uh, Siberian shamanism, thinking that might fill the gap. And I was on YouTube and there was this Native American and he was going off about white people stealing his culture and stealing his religion. And I was furious because uh, um, Siberian shamanism was not Native American. And what the hell is this guy talking about? And I was so angry until I realized that he was right, that I didn't have access to my uh, ethnic background and I really wanted it. So I started a journey which eventually led me to come to the awareness that I was in fact of Norse descent and I started reading Norse mythology. And out of that, that reading Norse mythology, I saw that my ancestors practiced all this stuff that I've been learning in all these other traditions that have not been destroyed because of this, what we're gonna get into, which is Christianity. So. Uh, I'll just get right into it. The book we're looking at today that you guys have asked me to uh, talk to you about is uh, probably, again, one of my most favorite books as well that I wrote, which is Odin Says Jesus Was a Coward. And so I talk in the book about how, um, like most people, I made the association between Odin's sacrifice on the tree of life and Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Now, I had completely rejected the Jesus model by this point. And so I was bothered by this. 
You know, why would Odin, you know, is Odin a savior? What, what is that? And um, so I have a method of uh, shamanic work that I do, which is when I'm in between that state of sleep and waking up in the morning, you know, you might wake up and then you go back to sleep. I go into this state where I'm in a semi-dreaming state and oftentimes I can ask questions and have visions and all kinds of things can happen. And it'll be, you know, a state of uh, lucid dreaming. I talk about it here. So one morning while in this state, I realized that I was a little disturbed at the resemblance of the Odin sacrifice to the Jesus crucifixion. So in my mind, I verbalized this question, quote, Odin, what is the difference between Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of sins and your sacrifice on the world tree? Unquote. To my absolute shock, I immediately heard this answer in a booming voice, quote, Jesus was a coward, unquote. This was extremely shocking to me. It was also very frightening. I, I am still sensitive to the concept of blasphemy. While I no longer believed in the Christian idea of sinfulness, I would certainly not have characterized the selfless, seemingly, selfless act of willingly sacrificing oneself for the benefit of others as cowardly. Even though I personally rejected the need for the crucifixion of Jesus, I would never ever have characterized it as an act of cowardice. Any such act in my mind would have definitely been one of extreme bravery and selflessness. And we'll just skip here because I go on talking more about that. And we'll just get straight into the dream here. So um, I decided that I was not willing to allow old fears to stop my inquiry. I chose to believe that I had the power to decide what I wanted to believe or not to believe. And if this were some kind of demonic voice, I chose to believe that I had the power to investigate it and choose to accept or reject its validity. I was not going to react from fear, so I stayed with the dream state and continued to listen. After a brief pause, as if aware of my internal decision to stay with the dream, the voice continued, quote, When Jesus died on the cross, he took away man's most precious gift of the gods, the gift of self-determination. Jesus gave away his salvation to a world that neither wanted it, appreciated it, understood it, nor earned it. And look at what men have done with this supposed free gift of forgiveness. Nothing. Jesus turned magnificent men into powerless sheep. Odin's voice intensified with increasing passion. He continued, I earned my enlightenment. I sacrificed myself to myself. Giving enlightenment to one who has not worked for it is the gravest of insults. It says that they cannot achieve it for themselves. No warrior ever acts this way toward another person. Why would I demean and insult someone so badly to deny them the honor of earning for themselves the gift of infinity? A warrior gives men ultimate respect. To die in the pursuit of self-awareness is the noblest of acts. If I thought someone was not capable of such an act, I would still allow them the honor of dying while trying to achieve it. If I gave them my enlightenment, what use do they have of their own immortal divine spirit? What a waste. What a colossal waste. If Jesus or anyone else tried to give me their salvation that they earned, I would, like any true warrior, kill them on the spot for such an offense. Unlike Jesus, I shared the example of my own sacrifice so that men could replicate it for themselves, so that they could equally share in the gift of self-evolution. They, through their own efforts, can stand side by side with me as warriors, not as pathetic sheep. 
They need not worship me, they can worship themselves. Anyone who endures such a self-sacrifice as I have will never take it for granted, never. It is impossible to do so. But look at men today, they respect nothing. I was the first of men to sacrifice myself to myself, and as a result, the eternal mysteries of existence revealed themselves to me. The runes or divine secrets do not magically remove sins. They empower men to die to and transcend their self-imposed limitations. The only path to true evolution is that of the warrior. Without the warrior spirit, men will fail. I am a warrior. Jesus is not. He is a coward, and he teaches men to be cowards. I will not condescend to mankind by attempting to change his mind. He has made his choice. He has chosen to abandon the path of the warrior, the path to his own self-transformation. Man has chosen to give Jesus control over his eternal destiny. Jesus was a slave and a sheep, and man has chosen to follow Jesus' example. I will respect man in whatever decision he makes, regardless of how disgusting it may be to me. For me, there is only one sin. That is to deny oneself the realization of one's full potential, unquote. Yeah, uh, very powerful words there. You know, this, I mean, just so so much in that. It, it just it does such a wonderful job of summarizing the difference between the warrior mindset and just the, the mindset that we see in monotheism. Like, not only is it a and, and his energy, it, it's that woad, it's that very intense, that kind of fury, this this very, and that's what I love about the, the Norse pantheon as well that I've recognized is they, they do very much have this fire element, this kind of intensity to them of, it's it's full of love, it's very upfront, it's very authentic, but they're not afraid to show their emotions or show how they're feeling about something and, and kind of bring that that passion or that fiery nature to it. And you see here the the passion that not only does and and the respect not only does Odin have for himself as a warrior, but for every other human being, you know, like in there, he's saying like, even, mm-hmm. even if they were to fail in the pursuit, I would still allow them the honor of, of, of dying, like going after that. Like that's the ultimate respect to know that like, you know, like no matter, like it, it's their right, it's their choice to walk their path and to succeed or fail is totally on them. It's a mindset that's based in sovereignty and understanding free will and that we we each have to create the reality that we want and no one else can do it for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. another thing to note thing, I think, is is how you can really measure a person, I think, by their values. And I think that did a great job signifying the values of a spiritual warrior is one that values self-transformation self-awareness self-discovery above everything else to the point that they will they will allow others to suffer in order to let them earn that for themselves that type of thinking is absolutely not present in christian thought whatsoever yeah it's it's more like the a a welfare state a spiritual welfare state or just like entitlement mindset well and you, you think about what is the payoff you know the payoff for that kind of thinking is that that's a really great way to control an empire. It's a really great way to control a society of sheep. You know, if what you want is to be an elite ruler and have, uh, you know, everybody working for you in a machine, then you take away that. And so 
um, the way you appeal to people is by saying, I'm going to give you this gift. But that's really setting you up to then say, come on and take your seat in here and then be part of the masses that works and slaves for my benefit, me being the elite, whoever I am. And it really shows, you know, the change that happened when uh, we, everywhere in the world, when we moved from uh, living in connection to our immediate environment, we can call it, you know, living in a tribe, we can call it, you know, a hunter-gatherer, we can call it shamanic. You know, people will use whatever euphemism they want, but what it means is that there was an understanding. I mean, you know, this was very common. You know, Native Americans did it, our ancestors did it. But if, like, if a child was born and that child was not capable of taking care of itself, they would let it die. And that sounds really cruel and horrible, except when you think about the fact that you've got this, this whole society, a tribe of people who need each other. If I don't, if I'm not there to take care of you and you're not there to take care of me, everybody dies. So it was that noble, uh, that noble warrior value of, you know, yeah, you've got you've to work your ass off and you've got to earn it. And um, Tacitus is really clear when uh, the Roman historian, when he, you know, and when Tacitus went and looked at the, you know, traveled to see the Germanic tribes up in what was, you know, used to be a jungle and what is now, you know, Germany. It used to be this big jungle of just forest and nature. When he went up there, he saw that, um, you know, the landowner and the, you know, if they had, because they, they did have, they didn't have slaves, but they did have indentured servants, you know, people that would work for them and lived on the land. And if the child of the indentured servant was, uh, was treated exactly like the child of the, you know, the landowner. And so the, they would both be sleeping on the floor, you know, in, in dirty circumstances. And the child of the landowner, if he wanted to be treated like an elite or treated like a warrior status, he had to earn it. He wasn't just given it. it wasn't, nothing was given to anybody. But at the same time, everybody was given the freedom and was given the assumption that they could accomplish it. It was just assumed. And so, you know, when I, when I first, you know, I, I, I tried to express in the book how shocking it was for me to hear Odin's voice and to hear the things that he was saying. And I, I, you know, it would have, you know, for me to write down everything that, you know, was given to me, it would be, you know, volumes. I, I don't even know if I could do it if I tried. I tried to just get the, the gist of it, but it kept going. And it was like, it was like a download in me that continued to grow over time. And every single one of my books was a result of me trying to get this download out. You know, and, and I didn't write any of those books because I had any intention of becoming a famous book author. In fact, I was kind of smirking while I, somebody's, you know, showing my book up on this, you know. But I had no intention of doing that. It's just, it was driving me crazy. All of this stuff inside of me was just, I had to get it out just so I could, just so I could breathe and function. But, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll give you guys time to respond with this last thing. One of the other things, you mentioned it, the fire. The fire of the Northern European gods. This comes back from uh, something that I've also seen. Again, I'm a syncretist. So, uh, you know, for me, the way I look at it is that 
shamanism uh, is a science. And so any true shamanic culture is a culture where their sacred people, their shamans are people who said, I want to know the truth. And so they're looking at energy and life uh, as a science. If it truly is a science, that means we've got people on different sides of the globe who have no connection to each other um, are going to come to the same conclusion, just like a scientist would. And so the, uh, the myth from the Hopis, as I understand it, I don't have this you know, from any credible source other than anybody can find it on the web. But as I understand it, according to them, the first humans were one tribe and the great spirit, whoever that would be, we might call that Odin, call it whoever you want, came to them and said, I'm gonna send you off in four different directions to learn the elements. And so the people who went to go learn fire ended up going north. That doesn't make sense on the surface because the north at that time was under a 40,000, which turned out to be 40,000 years of an ice age. Why would you go to uh, be covered in ice to learn about fire? Well, because if you don't, you'll, you'll freeze to death. So they had to learn about fire in order to survive. And so that became our way of interfacing. You know, the reason my skin is light, the reason why I have light eyes is because after 40,000 years of living in ice age conditions and interbreeding with Neanderthals, this is what you get. And um, so we became masters of fire and all of our technology is based on it. I'm looking at, uh, uh, you know, if I touch the bottom of my, uh, my laptop, it's hot, it's fire, it's electricity. There's the lights and fire. My car has a spark plug, everything is fire. And so the gods of our ancestors, the way that we learned to interact with them was through fire. So if you apply that to your heart, our heart is fire. So the ironic thing about the so-called white race, you know, the people who master, who are mastering fire, is that that fire, when it's when it's when it's not controlled, when it's not channeled properly, is incredibly destructive. So when we disconnected ourselves from the gods, the gods of fire. When we disconnected ourselves from that, we still are fire. Our nature is fire. And we then spread that fire all over the world, and we could make the argument that that's what's happening to the environment. I mean, you know, California's on fire. Australia here was on fire last year. Um, but when I interacted with the gods, first with Odin, as you can see, I, I, I wasn't prepared for this. I'd been dealing with... Of course, I was grown up, you know, Christian, where Jesus is this meek, you know, weakling, whatever. And then uh, I dealt with the Taoist masters who are the masters of ether. And so they're very calm. They're still intense. They're still very uh, strict and unforgiving, but they're very calm. And their way of dealing with you is if you don't know what the hell you're talking about, or if you're disrespectful, they just turn their back on you and walk away. So I was used to that vibe. So here I am talking with the master of conscious awareness, and he is full of fire, and he's full of what seems like rage to me. And then there was one time where I was talking about Thor, and I was, I could, I remember that I was feeling insecure about it and embarrassed. And I said something about Thor being um, immature or something like that, because I was buying into the 
stereotype of Thor. And uh, so I was coming from my insecurity. And the moment that it came out of my mouth, I, I felt Thor say, how dare you criticize one of your family members? Don't ever talk bad against your family again. And at first I felt so badly, like I had been scolded and beat up by this really horrible thing until it dawned on me, he called me a family member. He was talking to me as though I was his brother. He was talking to me the way uh, 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 somebody does when they really love somebody who's about to step into something really dangerous. Hey, knock it off. You're about to walk into a death right there. Turn around, wake up. I care about you. Don't you understand that? You know, like, like mothers, when you know, children run out in the street, they'll grab them and they'll yell, don't do that. And then they say, yeah. don't you understand how much I love you? Don't do that. Yeah. This is what's missing from us. This is what's missing from our interaction with the world. This is why the world looks at the, uh, the Germanic people, the, the European people as rightly so, soulless devils. Because this is what happens when you disconnect from your ancestors. And whatever your true essence is, and that of the European people is that of fire, if you're not operating from the essence that connects you to creation, you will be a force for destruction. And this is why Christianity was so perfect for this. Anyway, my apologies for, you know how I am. I go on. Oh, no, not, we love it. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's interesting because recently we did an episode about uh, chaos and order and, you know, got into different elements of cre creation and destruction and all that. And we kind of realized that destruction is a form of creation because everything that you're doing to influence reality and change the current state of things is a form of creation even if it's destructive so it's almost yeah it's an interesting uh concept and it just made me think about how you were talking about fire and how essentially as conscious beings we are creators whether we realize it or not so being responsible for taking ownership of that spindle of what we're creating is of utmost importance because otherwise what you get is rampant forest fires, metaphorically and literally, when that fire energy is not being wielded responsibly and properly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I really like that you that you brought up the, that fire because that, that's something to be, you know, we can very see, like, especially in the West, like with the the military industrial complex or, you know, even what we did like with Hiroshima and Nagasaki, that's, that's the, that's that fire element for sure. Mm -hmm. But being oh, what about, um, disconnected from the heart space, you can see examples like over, over and over again, like in, in Western society where this, this fire element has been misused. But if you, you start to, uh, connect with European people, like you see that, like we, we are very fiery people, like by nature, we tend to get like very passionate and very, like you, uh, like you spoke about with Thor and that, that interaction. And I like that you brought that up because I've had a very similar interaction with him. Um, that was much along that same lines of like, don't, don't dare speak about people that way. Like the, you know, Thor, like the, the whole, and, and for, you know, for those out there listening, understand that the, the European, the Norse deities, they don't just see European people as, as their family. Like when, when Thor's referring to everybody, he's referring to the whole human race. Because as your family, like the, everybody is this warrior. We're all inherently powerful if we just choose to step into that. And it's, 
it's that that passion and that fury that I think our modern society like it's not used to because we we've been so disconnected from that that when we try to like connect with it in an authentic way, what it does is it stimulates that heart space. And so many people aren't used to being able to tap into that, that they get off put by it at first. They don't, they, they mistake that passion and that intensity, that woad for rage when that that's not, that's not what it is. It's not rage or anger, or hatred coming from any kind of a unhealthy place. Like you said, like the mother who picks her child up before he goes, you know, like I'm, I'm a parent. I have a, I have a two year old. If he was to run out in the street, yeah, like I'm, I'm going to chase him down. I'm going to pick him up. Like, don't do that. Like there's going to be that intensity there. But like you said, it's coming from that place of care. It's coming from that place of love. It's, it's that fire that comes from the heart space. And it's, it's a very, a very purifying type of energy. And that, you know, it, it, it is a wonderful thing to learn how to tap into that. I, I think so many people are, they're, they're just afraid of that intensity because it, it's like them being afraid of themselves. Like, well, what if I am really this powerful? What if I can really tap into these kind of things? And by kind of staying meek and docile, like Christianity has program, programmed everybody to be, it's a way of safely staying separated from that part of ourselves that, you know, I think many of us in the West are afraid of. Yeah. And you think about, um, you, you know, uh, again, Tacitus uh, said said some really wonderful things when he talked about the generosity of mm-hmm. the uh, indigenous, you know, and because bear in mind, in case anybody is unaware of who Tacitus was, he was a historian from Rome, and this is about 2,000 years ago. And just to set the stage, you know, as I said before, what is now, you know, what they called Germania, which was basically anywhere above what is now France, um, it, was, it was a jungle. You know, of course, it was pine trees and all that, but it was lakes and marshes and thick forest. And that's one of the reasons the Romans couldn't conquer it is because they couldn't bring their military machine into that thick forest. So here's 2,000 years ago, here's this, this uh, civilized Roman, and he's going into what would be the same as somebody going into the jungles of Brazil, you know, trying to find the uncontacted tribes. That's our ancestors. The people who are now have been ruling the world, that's who we were. We were those most primitive of people. And he talks about their religion and he says that they, they don't have temples, they don't have idols, they worship the sky, they worship the earth. If you took the word German out of Tacitus's remarks and you entered in Native American or you know, any other uncontacted tribe, there would be no difference. That's how we look at these so-called primitive people. And he went and talked about how they were without guile, that they didn't have any money. They didn't even know what the hell money was. They had cattle. If you wanted something, you would say, hey, if you want to go fix my porch, I'll give you a cow or I'll give you some milk. That was their payment. You give them money, they go, it's cool, it's shiny, but I don't know what to do with it. What does this mean? They, um, they were known for their generosity. If you showed up, if you were a stranger and you walked into their village, they would all rush out and say, who are you? How can we help you? Hey, do you need some food? Come on in. And they'd fight with each other about, no, he can stay with me. No, he can stay with me. You know, and, then, and, and <laughs> there wasn't this, like the fear that we have now of people. We didn't have that before. 
And that's the fire of the heart. And you were expected, if somebody came in, you were expected to stop everything you were doing and set up a big table and give them a place to sleep. And, and if they looked at something and there was a shield on the wall and they went, wow, that's really cool, then you had to give it to them. You like that? Okay, here, have it. But then you had to be prepared if they liked something, you know, they liked your knife, you had to give them your knife. This idea of, of gebel, this idea of, of, of wunjo, this idea of the fire of love, the fire of friendliness, this was what fire was about. And of course, it meant the fire to fight for your family to fight for your neighbors. If somebody was attacking your neighbor, you had to go fight for them. So this is one of the things that uh, the, you know, the European society has done, which is, you know, you see this with, you know, if, uh, you know, World War II, for instance, World War I, you know, somebody that's our neighbor, somebody that's our friend is getting attacked. We have to go and defend them. We've ended up using that in a negative way now, you know, where we're policing the world in ways that is not about, you know, helping each other, but, Again, that's where the fire, the fire's still there. It's going to come out. The mm. question is, are you going to connect it to its original intent? Or, uh, you know, are you going to allow yourself to be manipulated, which is what I think happened, unfortunately. Allow yourself to be manipulated into that passive-aggressive. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so passive-aggressive. But that, mm -hmm. that's what kind of strikes me as interesting and a bit ironic, too, is how, how you're saying the fire's still there the spiritual warrior is still there too, but rather than them fighting for their own salvation, they're fighting everyone else to, to accept their fucked up version of it, basically. Yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. When I, I like in the book, you had mentioned that, um, it's, it's with, especially with the fire element, it's that fusion of the heart space and the mind that like, that is our birthright, you know, um, you know, even in, um, we can see a fire associated with the heart space, but even in Vedic astrology, like when I do relationship consults and things, uh, we see fire being associated with the masculine. Uh, we have fire and air, masculine, water and earth are, are feminine, but that masculine, that fire, that's our action. That's what we're doing. So, you know, I, I think especially it's like European people, it's very much time part of us fusing that heart space and the mind together is learning to take action from a place of care from a place of love for our human family of actually having respect for other individuals and like their right to have a different experience than us. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's, that's really what we're needing. And that that's the kind of energy that we need, we need to be able to tap into to kind of mm -hmm. reverse a lot of the monotheistic program that, you know, we, we see that it's a very, it's such a dogmatic belief system. Oh, you have to believe this way, or you're going to be punished for eternity, you know? Like, and it's just a totally, totally different mindset than coming from a heart space of having like respect for another being sovereignty and for their path of being able to step into their own awareness and be willing to sacrifice themselves like to themselves, just like Odin did, uh, you know, right. Because very, very fundamentally different mindsets. Yeah. We're still a very action oriented society as well. Very schedule focused and go, go, go all the time. But it's like you're saying, the difference is it's not coming from that heart-based balance. It's all fear-based, survival mindset, you know, cutthroat tactics, imperialism, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah it reminds me of the Aruda Lagna, 
which uh, I know you guys are familiar with, which is oh, yeah. you know the projection that we give off that is our success based on Vedic astrology. Mm -hmm. And if you're not aware of your Aruda and you fight with it, your Aruda is going to come out, but it's going to be the negative yeah. side of it. It's still going to come out. You can't stop it. And what I like about what you're saying to bring uh, astrology into it is that Odin is often associated with Mercury. You know, every time I try to say Odin is Mercury, I can hear Odin say, I, 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 uh, you can't put me I'm in the not body. only that. Yeah. yeah you can't, <laughs> yeah. But in terms of uh, much of the expression, uh, he, he has a lot of that mercurial aspect, which is the intellect. And he, he represents the fusion of the intellect with the passion of the heart. And um, being that he is uh, an expression of consciousness in the uh, Northern people's um, mindset, then there's gonna be that quote rage, you know, like Odin mm -hmm. is sometimes translated as rage, but that's that fire of of intellectual, uh, where the intellect, the limits of the intellect actually are obliterated and the intellect becomes infinite. And so that's why he's a god of the mind and that's why he's so associated with wisdom and why his writings, you know, and, you know, when he speaks and when we read um, the Havamal, it's, it's, you know, it's this deep wisdom. And again, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, who is one of the most revered writers all over the world is Shakespeare. And Shakespeare, I believe, is that uh, Northern European fire essence through the intellect and the heart, because Shakespeare is known for, uh, you know, this, the, the connection to the heart and the love that he has. And, you know, I mean, this so brilliant is, you know, to this day. And that's how, you know, somebody's channeling something, because hundreds of years later, even though we can't quite make out all the language, it's stuff that it's just so beautiful. I, I wouldn't want to change yeah. any of it. Yeah, that, that, that's a wonderful thing about story and mythology is that like it, it's it's so timeless that the, mm -hmm. the essence of the wisdom that's in there can be tapped into no matter, you know, where at in time space that you're like tapping into it. Yeah, like, it's like that thousands of years later, it, it's value. Um, that truth is universal. Yeah. It's consistent all the way across the board. It can right. be accessed by anyone. Yeah. So something else in the book that I think is very in, important that you highlighted was the difference in how the sacrifice actually works versus uh, sacrifice in the traditional animist or pagan mindset in the sense that it's an uh, equal energy exchange, that Gabo, as you're referring to earlier, versus the sacrifice of Jehovah sacrificing his son to himself to, you know, you know, the very narcissistic type of sacrifice. So would you like to kind of uh, yeah. break that I'd apart a little to. bit. I'd love to. So this is an important subject because the majority of uh, Westerners only know about sacrifice through the sacrifice of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember growing up and of course, you know, uh, the church I went to would, would always try and find ways to show how other people do it wrong. And even our ancestors, and let me just say something that, Again, I don't think people realize. I just watched it again. I was watching something on YouTube, something historical, and they were talking about the barbarians, you know, and it was a guy, he was an English guy. Clearly, you know, he looked like he was ethnically Anglo-Saxon, not that that matters, but he was talking about the barbarians and he was talking about them in the third person as though yeah. they were some foreign thing. And I'm looking at him going, they're your ancestors. 
Why are you talking about them like they're somebody else? Like they're some alien race. They're your ancestors. We've been taught to think that. And so when you're in church and uh, the pastor is talking about how, you know, the then then might be talking about the barbarians, you know, the the European barbarians, how they used to do these evil sacrifices to demons and blah, blah, blah. So we don't even understand in our culture what sacrifice means because when you think about it, Jesus was commanded to sacrifice himself (laughs) for the sins of human beings because his father couldn't tolerate looking at humans because they were so sinful. So there's no sacrifice because the word sacrifice means you're giving something up. And here you have, here you have Jehovah sitting there and he's saying, I can't stand those humans that I've created. And so you perfect son of mine, who's for some strange reason is still me. We haven't figured that part out yet. You go down and you sacrifice yourself for them. And then you tell them it's because I love them. And then he says, Dad, I don't think I want to do that. Is it okay if I don't do that? And of course, he says, no, you have to go do that. And then he says, no, I'm doing it for you. I'm selflessly, right? I'm selflessly selflessly sacrificing myself for you so that he can love you. It just, it doesn't make any sense. There's no A plus B equals C. So traditional sacrifice, when, you know, again, let's get into the context of it. People are living without technology as we know it today. They're living in uh, harmony with whatever's around them. They have to live in harmony with what's around them or they're going to die. And so they need to have the harvest. They need to have the rains. They need to have the whatever the heck it is that they need, they need it. And they want to have a relationship with the earth and with the forces of nature, the gods, everything around them. And so in order to do that, they have to give. So they'll give something of tremendous value, which again, a cow. If you sacrificed a cow and you're living in a village and there's only a few hundred people in that village and there's only... 10 or 20 or 30 cows in the, you know, the whole place, one cow would be like what, $500,000? It would just be a huge amount of, of money. The value would be immense. You're taking that thing that is really valuable to you and you are then giving it away to the gods. So the blood of the sacrifice and the, you know, when you're cooking the meat on the fire, that's going to the gods. Then what you do is then you give all of that to everybody. So whoever it was that said, I'm going to give up my cow, he knows he's giving away to the rest of the village $500,000 to everybody. He's, he's sacrificing it. Nobody does that unless there's a payoff. So the payoff is, is now that there is this connection and this the blood sacrifice, you know, that our ancestors understood what a blood sacrifice meant. It meant that. It meant it was. It wasn't just the blood of the cow. I mean, the guy. You know that that guy. It that hurt. Giving up that cow and slaughtering that cow. That hurt. And he had to think that one through before he did it. So he must have thought there was some benefit in it for him. And so there's a benefit there by giving 
you get. You give not only to the gods, but you're giving to everybody around you and everybody. And the, and the thing is, is that now that this meat has been consecrated by the gods, it's filled with power, which is the understanding. The whole village is eating this empowered meat. And imagine how much everybody in that village thinks of whoever it was that gave up that cow. You can imagine they're all walking up to that person and thanking them and, hey, do you want to marry my daughter? You know, they're, they're given away. And so it creates this gebel. It creates this giving back and forth between everything and everybody. It balances together. It makes sense. Yeah, very practical. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It doesn't follow any rhyme or reason. But what it does do really well is it taps into the, now by this time, it has to be hundreds of, or maybe a hundred thousand years of human evolution of the understanding of blood sacrifice. They tap into that one thing of blood sacrifice and say, um, you know, this is, this is the sacrifice. This isn't just a cow. This is the sacrifice of the Almighty and his blood for you. I mean, it's such a mind fuck that, mm. you know, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, the Iraq war. You know, we, yeah, we went to war in Afghanistan because there was a bad guy there and we had to go get him. And then we came up with this idea to go to war in Iraq. And the, the justification is, well, you, you like the troops, right? Well, the troops are going there. So if you don't like this war, you don't like the troops. It's just this backward mind fuck. And you just have to guilt yourself into, yeah, okay, I'll tow that line. Yeah, right. yeah Jesus mm-hmm. died for my sins because I'm bad. And, and he, and the, but it's, it's, it's this narcissist mm-hmm. who's an abusive, uh, murderous narcissist. And he hates himself so much that the people that he created, he sees his own perfections in them to such a degree that he can't tolerate looking at them. And again, this isn't just me talking. This is the Bible. God cannot tolerate looking at human beings because they, you know, wanted to figure out what life was about. So they ate the apple. God forbid they want to figure something out. And so because he can't tolerate that, he then is going to take, you know, this is the mind fuck. So imagine you're sitting there and you see this all the time, you know, in, um, you know, when you've got like, uh, uh, you know, drug cartels or something and they want to torture you or fuck with you or get control over you. And, you know, like what was, uh, uh, if you watch Breaking Bad, if you remember the one uh-huh. scene where, where Gustavo Fring, he, he, you know, he cuts the throat of his own guy in front of the, the two guys that are doing meth. And it was a really clear message. And the message was, I can't kill you, but I'm going to kill this guy because he should have stopped you. And this guy's innocent. He's just doing his job. So I'm going to fucking kill this guy right in front of you so that you're scared and you're full of guilt and you're, you're flipped out and you're going to do what I tell you to do. That nailed it. Yeah, because I was imagining like some some guy like torturing a dog and say, and saying, if you don't do what I say, you're hurting this dog. Don't make me hurt this dog and make you feel all guilty. Or like you were just saying like, well, but nine 11, like people died. Don't you care about those people? Or with the gun grabbers saying like, what you hate children, you want children to die because you want to keep your guns or whatever. It's the same kind of gaslighting techniques. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, that's what I really wanted to, to highlight that I, I think is uh, interesting to see is like one, the, the animist or the pagan version of sacrifice, like, like you pointed out, Michael, it's about that gabo. It's an equal exchange. You're giving up something and it, it's very practical. It's based on interacting with nature and your environment for survival purposes. Uh, you going and sacrificing a cow and then sharing that with the whole village, not only is there the, the magical aspect behind it of like what you're trying to get energetically, whether it be, you know, more crops that season or, or whatever it is, but you're also very practically you're, you are actually feeding the other people in your village. It's a very practical way of interacting. That's the thing about animism. It's a practical way of interacting with your environment and with nature in a healthy way. It's about establishing that equal exchange and that connection where we are part of this system instead of just something trying to dominate and control it. Mm. Whereas with Christianity, you see, uh, the fact that, you know, just the mindset of Jehovah, like Michael said, it, it's very, it's very psychopathic and, and you know, it's, um, this narcissistic pseudo perfectionism, like, like you mm-hmm. like, like psychologically, you know, that, if you wanted to look at it, that's what Jehovah is going on. He's totally a psychopath. He's totally a narcissist. And he's coming from the mindset of, Oh, I, I created you and you seem, you seem so terrible to me that I want to smite you and torture you for eternity. So I'm going to sacrifice my son to myself and then you know and then bait and then at the same time go around and talk about how he's he's such a loving god or he's doing this because he loves you so at this you know it's it's a gaslighting it you know there's a double standard there of oh he won't he can't stand you and he wants to torture you for eternity because of like human beings wanted to learn something you know we tried to gain knowledge but at the same time he loves you it's it's like that abusive spouse it's like beating the shit out of you and it's like don't you see i just love you like, you know, stop making me do this. Like, yeah. it's the look, same thing. Like, look what you made me do. I didn't want yeah, to right. do that. You know, I love you. And then you provoked me. You did it. I have no yep. control over my responses, even though I'm perfect. You, I right. Yeah, there's just yeah. no way not to feel horrible. Yeah. No the way. other word that the other word that came to mind for me was like spiritual domestication. Right. Because mm-hmm. think about that. When you're domesticated, you aren't self-reliant. You don't know how to go after anything like for yourself. You're, you're depending on someone to just give it to you. Like you can't go hunt. You just got to hope that the meat shows up in the store. Well, this is the spiritual groceries and people are so disempowered. They don't know how to get it for themselves. They're just like, so I just go over here up to the front to the congregation and say that I give my heart to Jesus and then I'm fixed and absolved of all my sins and happily ever after. Right. That I just do, I go do the thing and then everything's great. Right. Okay, cool. That sounds, sounds good. Magic. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I like that you use the word spiritual domestication too. just being the fact that Christians love to refer to themselves as sheep. Like, and they don't, you know, they love it. They love calling themselves sheep. Like, oh, we just need our shepherd. But it's very interesting. Yeah, that spiritual domestication is a great, that's a great way to summarize that. Uh, but go ahead, Michael. You know, like you've got this, this, uh, you know, this symbol of Jesus as the shepherd. And yeah. so you got to take the full thing in context because yes, the shepherd protects the sheep. Why does he do that? Because it's his meat. Yeah. He doesn't want the wolf eating it. He doesn't want the other guy eating it. I'm going to eat them. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, he protects them when it's in his interest, but when it's also time to slaughter the sheep, guess yeah, what's going to happen? Yeah. People are saying, yeah, I'm this, 
you know, this beast of burden and I'm, I'm a piece of flesh for Jesus to eat. And yeah, he protects me. He loves me. And that's why yeah. he's going to eat me later. No, that's, that's interesting. Especially when you start to like, you know, you, you study into um, more of like uh, Judaism and kind of their view of Jehovah, you kind of see this this worldview that Jehovah is actually like a de- like a demon, like posing posing as the creator as a way of being able to keep control and like like demons do energetically feed off of and, and harvest human beings. So if you think about uh, Jesus and Jehovah in that context, well, it makes very much sense why they would want to view themselves as a shepherd. It, it seems like this very benevolent. Oh, I'm protecting you. I'm loving you, but it's all because I just want to slice your throat and cut you up to eat you whenever I want. It's because I want all your psychic energy coming towards me. And then, and I think, and you mentioned this in the book. It's it's a great point of like in the Ten Commandments. It's it's all about not worshiping anybody but Jehovah. It's all about giving Him the attention, giving Him that psychic energy. And that's you know I, I'm definitely of the opinion that Jehovah very much is of like a a kind of demonic nature or or something uh, to to that extent because nothing um, no spiritual being that actually cares for others is going to deny others sovereign, their sovereignty and their free will. And, you know, they, they would, they, as true spiritual beings would have the perspective of Odin, of Thor, of giving others that respect, allowing them to go after that path and something that's trying to control everything else. That's a very, very different kind of energy. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up. Cause I remember when I was seven years old, I remember having this feeling one day where, I had like, like this feeling of what if God is the devil and the devil is God and the true God is being held captive and is being forced to pretend to be the devil, you know, like in other words, you know, is, are we being gaslighted? And then it's right. the ultimate M night Shyamalan movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, and I was seven years old. I didn't know, but it's so weird that as I hit middle age, this is my focus in life is to actually reveal, yeah, we've been gaslighted. The God you worshiping that's supposed to be your savior is actually trying to destroy you. And the ones yeah. that the evil ones, you know, are actually the ones that are, are working to help you. You know, and yeah. it reminds me of, uh, we're on this subject and it was remind me of uh, in Africa, the Yoruba people, the king, the, you know, they, everybody's a king in Nigeria, right? That's because it's a, you know, a bunch of villages. So you're a king of the village, but so the, the chief of the village is usually seen as very rotund. So the biggest guy in the village is going to be the chief. Now that's not good in our culture because, you know, we like people svelte and all that, but, uh, that's where his riches come from. It's, it's symbolic of his riches. Now, when you ask him, how much money do you have? He'll say, I'm broke. And you ask why? And he says, because I give it away to my people. So his being big is the symbol of I've got all of the resources, but in order to be a true chief, he has to be broke because he's constantly working to bring in the, the, um, the resources to give to the tribe. Mm-hmm. Which is again just so different from how you know. It's the ironic thing is, is that we're talking about how Odin says that I respect you so much that I want you to go and and uh, get for yourself your enlightenment, 
And so it sounds really selfish, and the Christian will say, oh, that's ego. It's not about you. It's about God. Yet he's giving away this gift of you, you know, I'll teach you how to go get it yourself. And yet at the same time, we've got this culture now that is, you know, everybody's gathering their own thing. And it's about, you know, not my, don't take my stuff away from me. And we end up fighting with each other and, and everybody's so paranoid about losing their stuff. And it's so opposite. On the one hand, you have this, this God who apparently gives his life away for you. But then why is it that we're so greedy and so materialistic? And our ancestors who believed this, this blasphemous thing of you have to go get your own enlightenment, you should be proud of yourself and go conquer your own lands and get your own, you know, glory. It was a big thing, right? You know, a, a, true, a, a true warrior was somebody who went and got his own glory. Yeah. But in... Christianity, you can't do that. You have to carry your cross and you have to, everything is God and I give God all the glory. And yet everybody's, you know, there's no feeling of having any abundance. Everybody's afraid and materialistic and selfish and greedy. And so, yeah, it's... But it's very interesting. Yeah, well, to me, that would kind of like bringing in like the concept of projection into this, like, Whereas like in the Germanic or the pagan society, the reason why they could have that abundance to share is because they had that self-empowerment. So they, they can then go have the mindset of, oh, I have enough. I'm fulfilled within myself that I can share. Whereas with Christianity, the whole religion is based off of what you lack. Oh, you, you have sin with, yeah, that original self-imposed negativity is like, you know, like I like to talk about it. Um, it's, it's coming from that place of lack of, oh, you don't have this. Oh, you need something. So then because they feel that inner lack, they, they project, you know, like that out through their actions in the world by trying to always take and take and take as a way of filling, uh, filling that void. This is another idea that kind of uh, has been bouncing around between Brian and I is, is this idea of a perfect God versus an imperfect teacher or a, ro a role model of some kind that's actually mm. relatable. So it's, it's interesting because it's even like you can see this on like the social media space. People resonate more with people that show their imperfections, who share their struggles and their sort of vulnerability. That's who you're going to relate with and, and allow to feel that inspiration come up from seeing that person who you, you can see yourself in their eyes. How can anyone ever relate or much less learn from a God or a, a, a higher being? that is self-proclaimed as perfect and that, well, you'll never be like me. So, but you, you better try your hardest or, you know, like it, it's like they set the standard of perfection, even though telling you, you'll never be able to reach it, but you'll still be judged based on it. So you should still really, really try to be as perfect as me, but you can't. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. that narcissistic control because that's exactly what a narcissist does you know on the, on the one hand that holds you to the standard of being perfect but at the same time won't allow you to accomplish it it's a great way of staying in control only a person who feels inferior inside is going to try to position themselves as superior to others only yeah. some, someone who feels that that like you're saying that heart-based care they're not trying to get one up on anyone they just love everyone and want to be equals with them mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's the idea that, you know, that Odin, you know, seems to very clearly say to me is that, um, yeah, I'm, I'm infinite, I'm, quote, God, but so are you. And if you want what I have, you can do what I did. You know, on my channel, I say that. I say, if you want what I have, you got to do what I do. Yep. And um, so that's, yeah. And, um, you know, that, that I like that idea that you're talking about, how this is, again, something that people may not understand if they haven't looked at history, uh, is that even in other religions that I like, even in other polytheist religions, it's now, you know, by now, I mean, you know, the past 2,000 years, we view spiritual, you know, we look for people who have achieved enlightenment, you know, and mm -hmm. then, so there's these gurus out there that project themselves as being perfect and enlightened and or, which might even be worse, they allow their followers to uh, Think project that. them that way. And our ancestors didn't see that. And the way that we know that is through fairy tales. In fairy tales, the witch could be the wicked witch or the good witch. So just because somebody was spiritually and energetically evolved didn't mean that they were enlightened. It just meant they had power, which means that anybody could have power. And how you choose to be, you know, was really what it came down to. And so that idea of the perfect, enlightened, that, that you know, and I love the Buddhist saying, if you see Buddha on the side of the road, kill him. Because yeah. if, if you see him there and he's perfect and you try and compare yourself to him, then you're going to end up worshiping him and forget his whole message, which was, you're supposed to balance yourself. Right. It's your job. Thank you for listening to the Wizard Factory Podcast. We hope you'll join us again next week as we continue to explore deeper understanding of the universe and ourselves.